Hey everybody, this is Fran Frischella and welcome to the World of Basketball podcast. Believe it or not, our 52nd episode and we take you basically around the basketball globe. In fact, we not only take you around the globe, we've shrunk it for you because as many of you know who listen, uh, this has truly become a global game. Uh, over one-fifth of the players now playing in the NBA were born outside the United States, and, include, and of course, that includes the current uh, and most recently crowned MVP of the NBA this year, Serbia's Nikola Jokic. So uh, we, love, uh, we love bringing you our friends and conversations uh, from great people around the world, whether they be players, coaches, or executives. And this week, we bring you a friend of mine, Brian Gorgian, the head coach of the Australian national team, also known as the Boomers. And he'll tell you how uh, Aussies are getting ready for the Olympic Games in the next few weeks. And of course, we'll talk about the great players that we expect to be on that team, including uh, two guys who are having uh, making their mark on the NBA playoffs right now, the Philadelphia 76ers, Ben Simmons, and the Utah Jazz, Joe Ingles. And I know that excites my producer, Chris Tyler. And Chris, uh, we've got a lot to talk about this week. A lot of things going on internationally, but uh, I know uh, at some point here we'll get to uh, Brian Gorgian, and you'll be all excited uh, about listening to what he has to say. Absolutely. Uh, When it comes to the Olympics, Australians are are so passionate about it, and the fact that the uh, men's team is still yet to win a medal Kind of makes us all a bit upset, but I think this will be our year, and I think we've been saying that for quite a while. But if you have a look at the talent across our roster, this is, I think, one of the best teams that we've had ever, I think. Yeah. Um, so much talent. There's so much NBA talent. You mentioned Ben Simmons and Joe Ingles. You've got Matisse Thybul for the 76ers as well, obviously. Patty Mills. Playing well. Hopefully, Delhi yeah. can be uh, fit for, for this. Obviously, he's been battling concussions over the past year or so, but hopefully he can, he can be healthy yeah. for that. There's Aaron Baines, former World of Basketball guest as well. Uh, and may, maybe we see J- Josh Giddy as well, another former World of Basketball guest who exactly. is going to take the NBA by storm next year, hopefully. <laughs> going to be a well, lottery pick. He's going to be a lottery pick at 19 years old. There's no question about it. And uh, yes, I'm excited. I'm already, started to, I'm already starting to work uh, on preparing for the Olympics. Um, you and I talked about this off the air, but uh, it's it's kind of leaked out there a little bit. Richard Deitch had it in his, uh, he tweeted out the other day uh, that I will be covering the Olympic Games for NBC yeah, Sports. that's what we like to hear. Yeah, it'll be my second time with NBC. I was part of the Rio Olympics in, uh, in 2016. And uh, the cool thing, now, obviously, I'd love to go to Tokyo, Chris, but... Yeah. Uh, that's not going to be possible this year with the COVID situation over there. Uh, so I will spend 17 days in Stamford, Connecticut at the home of NBC Sports. And uh, it's really cool because there's a lot of camaraderie. I'll see a lot of people that I know. Uh, a lot of us have been lo- loaned out uh, from our own networks. Thank you, ESPN, for letting me uh, uh, do this. But uh, I'm excited because if you're watching the NBA playoffs, um it looks like the way things are going with the Bucks net series that we may see the Greek freak playing up in Canada for the Greek national team, uh, coached, by the way, by a former guest on this podcast, Rick Pitino. And uh, we're watching Jokic perform his magic. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic for the Atlanta Hawks, uh, another great Serbian player. Boyan Bogdanovic for the Utah Jazz. The interesting thing about these Olympic Games, it's not only the USA team that is in flux right now because we're not sure who's going to be available uh, for the Olympic team because of the NBA playoffs, but rosters have to be decided by July 5th unless FIBA makes an exception because of this incredibly strange pandemic year. But it's going to be really interesting to see, like, if Jokic is still playing in the NBA playoffs uh, in the middle of July, or Joe Ingles, Joe Ingles has told people that 
Doesn't matter when the NBA playoffs ends. He's getting on a plane with a couple beers <laughs> and heading right to Tokyo. So a lot of interesting stuff going on as we get ready for not only the end of the NBA playoffs, but who's going to be playing on the Olympic team. Should be interesting. Absolutely. And one other thing that I want to bring up as well, we didn't have a show last week because you were at a pro combine, I think, yeah. in, in Tampa. Tampa Bay Pro Combine. I was a part of it, helped select some of the players, and uh, it was good. It really was. A lot of former college players who've had really good careers. Uh, some of these guys could get drafted in the second round. Others will definitely uh, be on NBA Summer League teams. By the way, the NBA announced today, as we record this, there will be a Summer League in Las Vegas from the 8th through the 17th of August. And every NBA team will play five summer league games. So, nice. and that's out in Vegas. So it looks like we are really, really full, going full steam ahead, Chris, getting back to normal in terms of sports and basketball, you know, here in the United States. So, uh, yeah, you know, get your vaccine shot, folks. You know, I know some of you don't believe in it, but I got mine. I feel great. Feel bulletproof. We'll see. But yeah. And, see, and so the fact that uh, that we didn't have a show last week meant we couldn't kind of put a cap on our EuroLeague Final Four conversation that we yes. had the week before. But for anyone that didn't pay attention, FS beat Barcelona in the EuroLeague Championship. The, uh, they uh, it was it was a good series. The first couple of semifinals games, both really close games, really good games. Then FS yeah. takes the cake. FS takes the cake. The MVP of the. Uh of the uh, not only the regular season in the Euro League, but also the uh, the Euro Euro League Final Four was uh, Vasily Micic, now the property of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And here's a little backstory for you: In 2013, I went to Prague for the Under 19 World Championships, Chris, and uh, Micic was the star of the Serbian national team. They wound up playing USA in the gold medal game. And he gave the USA all sorts of fits. It was uh, Mark uh, Marcus Smart, Aaron Gordon, Alfred Payton comes to mind. Justice Winslow, I believe, was on those teams. And uh, Michich may come over uh, to Oklahoma City unless they trade his rights for a first-round pick. You never know with Sam, Prist Sam Presti. But uh, also Shane Larkin was brilliant. Former first-round pick, former Miami Hurricane star, who's really become one of the great players in Europe. And certainly can come back and play in the NBA and play a key role for somebody. So watch out for those two guys because we could see them in NBA uniforms uh, this coming season. So uh, I hope that wraps it up. We could talk about these guys all day long. But uh, you want to hear from a guy who was born in Southern California, was a terrific college player, comes from a great basketball family, but went to Australia many, many moons ago in the mid-70s and never left. The all-time winningest coach in the Australian professional basketball leagues. Um, and this year, after hiatus coaching in China, he's back coaching in the NBL. And he will be the Australian national team coach, the Olympic coach. So let's, without further ado, let's get to my great conversation with my friend, Brian Gorgian. A very... Special guest today on World of Basketball. Uh, last time I saw him was in Shanghai. Uh, you were coaching, I, I think you were coaching Guangdong, right? No. Uh, I, and you know what? I've coached both, uh, Fran, but I think when I saw you, I was, did we, did we have Jimmer for debt? Yeah, you, so you, you were coaching Jimmer. That's what it was. I was, I would, that's correct. I was the associate coach during uh, John Yabersay. So, uh, and we were playing, we were playing Guadong, who I used to be the associate coach for. I, I knew that. Uh, and we'll get into that associate coach stuff later, but there's a, I'm, I'd like to ask you a little bit about China, but more importantly, we're getting ready in the next, I don't know, two months or so uh, uh, to, um, to start Olympic basketball. And you are, you're going to be the coach again. And which is uh, unique. I mean, you will go into your career, Brian. Uh, first time I ever heard of the name Gorgian, I want you to know this, was Street and Smith's back in the mid-70s when your brother was in there. Uh, Greg, who was like one of the best players. It was before ESPN, before scouting services. And I remember opening up this Street and Smith saying, who's this guy, Greg Gorgian? He's averaging like 45 points a game. And <laughs> so you come from a basketball 
my family. And I can't wait to get into all this. But uh, you are the Olympic coach for the Australian national team. Uh, one of the teams that I think has a chance to win the gold if everything falls right. Obviously, USA, we can get into them. Um, but what what is what is it like right now post I don't want to say post pandemic, but, you know, we're, we're going to have it looks like we're going to Tokyo, hopefully. I know there's a lot of chatter about that, but you're coaching a team. You've got guys playing in the NBA. Everything is uncertain for every team that's going. What is that experience like right now? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's challenging for sure, Fran. Um, but uh, I guess the, the the high road with all of this and the and the reason for you know the involvement really was timing and the fact that uh, as you say, coming back into this at my age, it 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 been out of it for twelve years is the fact that Joe Ingles and and uh, Deladova Baines and at that time when I I was being interviewed for the job. Bogut, who I have a strong relationship with, um, and Patty Mills are so um, dedicated and so committed to this. No, no, no matter um, what the scenario brings, the length of the NBA season, the challenge of COVID, all these things that you bring up, that main group. And again, when I was in it before, it was a young team and Lithuania and Argentina were like that you know, with Pepe Sanchez and Ginobili and Scola, that group in, in Lithuania had that group. And my guys just kids. And these guys are very committed. But but to make us special, the Tybal, the Simmons, the, the, that, that scenario in the length of the NBA season, the challenges of uh, now getting those guys in to a system that's pretty has been pretty complex. I mean, the Aussie won a half-court system a little different than anybody else, and you bring pieces in with no practice time. There's a lot of challenges that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm dealing with right now just as far as system goes and the difference in system depending on that, who that plays. But I just imagine that um, when you look at the rest of the world, um, they're all facing those challenges. And I've got that one bonus piece that the main NBA guys are in. How, you know, that's interesting. Joe Ingles has said if his team, the Utah Jazz, play until the seventh game of the NBA finals, he's going to grab a couple beers, get a, get on that flight to Tokyo and meet you guys and be ready to go. So having said that, with the potential of having Ben and 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 Tybull, who a lot of people don't realize, Matisse is, looks like he's going to be a key piece for you. Most of us here in the States know him as a kid that played at Washington. How, from a coaching standpoint, how are you going to do that, given that the rest of your team is going to be starting training camp in you know late June, early July? Um, I, I think a, a key piece, is Fran, is keeping it simple. Um, I'm not going to certain things that, you know, there's a lot of challenges with the time frame, but there's also a lot of positives. Hey, you got nine days, you got three games leading in. It kind of clarifies where you can go with this. You know, it's, it's not going to, okay, we're going to need to have these concepts in defensively and, and these concepts in offensively. And then the synergy has been a huge positive, you know, um, watching Joe play for Utah and how they use him in horns, how they use um, Simmons off the ball, on the ball, and incorporate some things that they're just totally familiar with. And uh, the other group, the, the, the rest of the group, um, I think that you have can adjust to that. You And you have a gritty group too. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a grittier team. And I'm not just saying this, Brian. I know those guys, you know, watching these guys come through the, the boomer system. Grit and toughness is kind of in the DNA of these guys. So I'm sure that's going to make up for some of the lack of practice time or, or perceived chemistry, even though a lot of these guys have been together for a decade. You make a strong point, Fran, and, and uh, it's interesting. I, I took over the boomers back uh, after the Sydney Olympics, and they didn't qualify for the Worlds. And one of the things with the Sydney Olympics, a lot of the guys played longer because they wanted to play at home in Sydney. 
and virtually the whole team retired at the same time. And when you go to an Olympics, okay, so we don't qualify for the Worlds, I get hired and brought in for Athens. And you have to be the, to be competitive in that. You have to be the best in the world at something. And what you're talking about was our, you know, let's be great at teamship. Let's be great at culture. We're going to be the toughest team. We're going to wave towels. We're going to pick guys up. We're going to huddle up. You know, we're going to get into faces. And when you get to the Olympic Games and we get to Athens, we were so off the mark in that area. You realize how good you have to be. Um, when you're looking at Argentina and Lithuania, where they were then. And now you come back 12 years later and you walked into this as coach and you Zoom and you listen to those guys. And I, I was almost teary, Fran, on, on how um, committed and how strong and how opinionated they were about um, the boomers' culture. And um, this is it. This is their their and, and what they want to leave and they want it to continue when they're done and they're working actively at that. But the culture of the boomers is something, again, I, I feel like I was a part of starting. But the build on this is a credit to those guys that you name. And I feel um, really excited that I'm going to be with a group of guys that are going to be like that, because my persona, my personality, whatever happens, um, you, you're proud if the guys are, are giving and you've got that culture and it's visual. It's something to uh, it is a skill and it's something to be proud of. And, and right now, this group has it. You've come full circle, Brian, because uh, you're a Southern California guy. Um, you've spent much of your life now in Australia. You're, you know, like one of the great coaches in the history of the country. What is it about, you've been there so long, I know it's in your blood. What is it about the culture of the country of sports in Australia that there is that grit and toughness built in? I don't care if it's Australian rules football or rugby or, you know, certainly the, the basketball team you have. What is it about the culture of the country that you've seen evolve, that, that's, that's, that you've seen over time, being from Southern California and dropping yourself yeah. in? It's a great, Franny, you, you tell a story. I mean, I, 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 I've had such a four, you know, my, my father was, was my high school coach. And you talk about Greg was 4A CF player of the year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to Pennsylvania and played for Gary Colson. And uh, <laughs> one of I, my favorites. I, <laughs> one of my favorites. I roomed with, I roomed with Howie Dalmar. Wow. And Howie Dalmar, father was the head coach of Stanford at that time. And he was brought, he, Howie played for a guy named Bud Presley that was one of the toughest human beings I had ever come across. And I was at a going away thing for Howie to go to Europe. And Bud said to me, if I had a son, I'd send him to Australia. He goes, I just did clinics there. And he said, he goes, they're the, the he goes, I, I couldn't believe Okay, they were how tough and how, you know, they're, they, they, they play their ass off and they have a beer afterwards. It's like it's a fist fight. And then when it's done, it's a handshake and it's, it's beers at the bar. And he said, I've never seen anything like it. And honestly, Fran, it, you know, I got there. I called my dad within six months and I said, I ain't coming back. <laughs> and I think to, to, you know, we were, you know, we, we were brought up. My era, that era, you know, you played baseball, you played basketball, you played football and uh, their football, all these players that I played against played and their football is there's no clipping. You don't know where the hits are coming from. They're flying around. Smack. And I honestly, um, the, the players that I, I played against were thick, strong you know, would jump in your path, pop you. You couldn't cut. You couldn't move anywhere. You'd be in a bear hug off the ball. Um, just physical. And I, I just said, God, Dad, the, the basketball here is so physical and so tough. And then leading to when I got into coaching, um, I was told, you know, if you're, you're going to learn or you're going to grow, they, they've got to be great at some sport. Go into their a sport they're good at and learn. So I went into the football and that answered your question. It's just it's just a tough 
breed of of guys and a, a, a really tough physical sport. And most of these guys are are brought up that way. So uh, when there's a ball on the ground in football, you're taught, you know, uh, you got to go in first and, and, and you get hurt. So um, when there was a loose ball, I know, you know, you, you turn to go get it. And there's a guy, you know, his butt's standing, you know, like it's like they're in there first and you go, they learn all this stuff, football code, but they're, they're uh, a tough brand of, of your average Aussie is, is a, is a tough guy, a tough competitor uh, can can drink a beer and can 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 practice afterwards, and, uh, uh, they're, and they're 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 tremendous um, teammates. When, when I when I got to you know college basketball, it was always you know you're sitting on the bench and you're you're hoping the guy in front of you something happens to him so you get to get in there. Yeah. They're um, um, un- unbelievable teammates and. Uh, Teamship is is uh, it, it uh, it's a, it's a whole different mindset than America, and uh, and I'm not taking anything away from America, but America, you look at the NBA, it's more um, bring your bag, do your job, get your 15 rebounds and 10 points if that's your job, and if we get along, great. Where um, Australia is, you know, uh, works at. No, we we, we got to get along. This team's got to be tight. We got to care for each other. We got to love each other to get the best out of what we can get as a team. And if we don't have that, we're not going to win. That's the culture of an Australian team. So the, the guy that I would think best espouses that over the last decade would probably be Matty Delavadova. And it looks like he's going to be healthy from what I've been reading in the paper. But how important is a guy like how how much does he uh, how much does he kind of stand for that exact culture you're talking about? He's 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 the leader there for sure, and he's gotten to where he's gotten. Um, Joe has this quality, you know. Bogut, this, you know. Obviously, Simmons and Tybalt. He's gotten there through what you've talked about. I've played with so I've had so many. Um, American guards in in China go. How the hell am I here with you and Delhi's playing for? How does that work? And I go, and you you just do not get it. This kid is the in just what what you've described is that he stands for it, and he's he's loved here for it, and he's he's a real real important piece, as you say, Fran, and also in the fact of, of our depth in that position. You know, you've got Exum that's been out for a long period of time. You've got Ben and we don't, he's never played for the national team and his team's gonna, it looks like in it for a long way. And you you look at that spot in our depth chart there is the most vulnerable of any position. So he is he is very, very important, not only for the mentality but just as far as what we've got in the guard spot. You know, I, I think Joe Ingles, in my humble opinion, been studying him for two or three years now. To me, he's one of the five or ten best pick-and-roll players in the world, maybe in a, maybe top five. And he's so damn slow, Brian. It's almost an advantage for him to be slow. How will you use him, given that he's not – you don't have the depth at the position. Can he play – some, you know, point like whatever we call it, point small forward for you. How how will you utilize him? Because I just love watching him play. You know, it it's uh Quinn does such a tremendous job with Joe. Um and, and watch all the teams play. And again, synergy is a wonderful tool. And you watch what Andre did with him. They ran a lot of flat screens with him carrying the ball up and Patty Mills opposite the ball and, and, and hit his guy and then, you know, bring it back to him. So he's on his left hand with a five man where he gets the ball caught and stationary and he can play off that middle pick and roll. And obviously, Fran, I'm not a genius. It's it's uh, watching synergy and seeing how he's being used. And uh, one thing about the uh, NBA there. They're set. It's it's not rocket science. It's 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 intelligent. Spacing's great. 
and it's simplistic. And it, it and that kind of fits where we're at with six days of training. So you're hoping when when Joe comes in, it's kind of just he, he, just continue to do what you've been doing with the Jazz, and, and we and we make that part of our structure. But we're going to need him to carry the ball against pressure up the floor. We're going to need help there with the ball in his hand. And then we've got to get that ball to him. So he's coming downhill on that left hand off uh, middle pick and roll. But he's uh, another one. Again, I agree with you. He's a tremendous pick and roll player and a guy that's multiple positions. And in our scenario, a guy that can play the point when Delhi's out. When we when we when I was growing up in New York and we would watch the Brady Bunch or some of the TV shows that had Southern California, to me it seemed like the idyllic life. You know, I'm just wondering, a kid in that time playing high school basketball for your dad in in that era, and with all the things going on with UCLA and other stuff like the Vietnam War, all that crazy stuff. What was it like growing up being a high school basketball player in your era? It was, it was um, our area, Glendale, <clears throat> La Crescenta, and we were an all-white school. And uh, we were in a league with Muir, Pasadena, Blair, and we got our ass handed to us in all sports at that time, 4A. Those, the Blair had, you know, their quarterback, their, they'd go to UCLA, USC, running backs. The basketball team, we were ran like the military. And uh, my year, <clears throat> uh, we went 29 and one and lost to Bourbon Day in the CIF final. And they had the famous uh, guard, Raymond Lewis. Joy, and was David Greenwood on that team as well? Or was no, David, he was no. already gone? Yeah, no, David Greenwood, uh, Rich Hamilton were after. So this is 1971. Greg, played against Greenwood and Hamilton. So Raymond Lewis, this was 1971. I, our front line was 6'10", 6'11", 6'9". And I played with, so I went, my college roommate was Henry Dalmar. And his dad was the head coach of Stanford. My high school center was Bob Boyd. His dad was the coach at USC. And, uh, Growing up at that time, it, it just uh, sport. You know, you didn't have all the get, everything with sport. Every, 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 and 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 practice and trying to get a college scholarship. And then uh, for me, um, being on a team that was, you know, um, again for you know playing Verdon Day, we won the, we played in the font, beat Crenshaw, beat you know all Pasadena. Beat Muir, went undefeated in league, um, had a tremendous following, and then to get the college scholarship and end up in Malibu Beach. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Colson took me to uh, the the campus was in 88th Street in Vermont. Watts is 103rd Street, Vermont. The Watts riots were in the late 60s. It was like a war zone. And he didn't take me there. He took me to a mountain in Malibu. And he goes, one year, and then we're here. And <laughs> oh, the uh, campus. You know, oh, the campus wow. not even, they, they were blowing up the mountain. I saw him hit, hit it, blow up the mountainside. And the, the next year, we were at, I played one year at my freshman year in downtown LA. And then my sophomore year, we went to the Pepperdine campus and the gym wasn't built yet. And we used to travel to Culver City, practice and play our games. And then the following year, we ended up going to the Sweet 16. And it's funny how you um, we ended up getting Dennis Johnson out of junior wow. college. Wow. Oh. So he's our starting guard. And yeah. we end up going to the Sweet 16 and we lose to UCLA. And I'll oh. never forget Colson Colson walked into the locker room and he looked at everybody and he goes, I knew we were done. And I'm looking at him like, like what? And he goes, you guys all grew up in California and watched these guys win 10 championships. You know, there was no way we were getting these done. But, you know, as you said, Fran, the, the, the sport then 
um, the 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 day to day with my dad and what we had going on at our local high school, and then the fact that uh, Johnny Wooden and UCLA were doing what they were doing, you know, ten championships in a row, watching that, and and you know the the following of that, and then uh, um, yeah, so so uh, it, tr- tr- tremendous experience, and then the the close I go to. Australia, I'm seven years older than Greg, and there's no, there's no inner, there's none of that stuff when I'm in Australia to make a phone calls like, like, you know, a local calls like $50 and you're making maybe $200 a week. So you never talk to anybody. And I, middle of the night, I'd get a phone call and I, I pick up the phone and you could beep, beep, beep. You can hear Scott, somebody's calling me from you. Is my dad okay? Is it, you know, and it, uh, this is Jim Herrick here from, uh, UCLA, your brother would love coming, you know, and I'm pulling the phone back going, man, it's, it's two o'clock in the morning in Australia. And I, you know, I had, Fran, I, I heard all this going on, but I was in Australia while Greg was doing all this, but I got calls from university after, you know, it'd be two o'clock in the morning. My roommate would go there. There's another call from the States about your brother. He goes, he must be doing it. I go, <laughs> wow. You mentioned Jim Herrick, who's a friend. Coach McQuarn was a dear friend I, I, and a mentor of mine. I, and I miss him. And Bud Presley, who anybody, like if you ask Jeff and, and uh, Stan Van Gundy and their dad, Bill Van Gundy, about Bud Presley, they could talk for hours about those guys. So you're making me, you're tearing me up a little bit with these incredible basketball names. Did, because your dad, because you grew up in a coaching, you know, basketball family, when you were done playing, what was the transition like to, like, instead of coming back to the States, it's some, you know, how did it just, hey, we want you to coach? How did, how did that work out? So uh, going back to uh, uh, when I uh, when I arrived, I played for Lindsay Gaze, who was the Johnny Wooden of Australian basketball. And my last year of playing, Andrew Gaze was at the start of his career. And I remember calling my dad at Loyola and saying, I got a kid that would just hear playing, that would just kill your league. He'd be great, you know, fan, fan, fantastic. So, yeah, I, I finished, uh, I played for about nine seasons for Lindsay. And uh, my thought process was to go back to the United States and, and get in, like my dad, high school teaching. I had a teaching degree and I coach high school basketball. I loved Australia. Um, I wanted to stay in Australia, as I told you before, but the avenue for basketball, it's a second tier sport at the time. There was not, where are you going to go? And they started a second division. And uh, just at the year that I finished playing and uh, Lindsay said, um, you know, this is, this is a great place. It's a country town. You started from scratch. I went up there, I met with them, and um, um, I w- it was a place called Ballarat. And uh, I, I took the job, and I'll never forget, I flew back. I go, God, I got I to learn something about coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, no longer playing. So I flew back, and I sat uh, in the stands at Loyola. I went to the game. My dad was the head coach of Loyola University, and after the game was over, I go, Dad, I got to sit in your pocket. And I got to get a week in here on the day to day. And he said, I'll never forget. He looked at me and he goes, my ass is on fire. <laughs> this, <laughs> this thing is, is tough. And I mean, they were, they were, it was a real struggle there. And he looked at me and he goes, I got a guy that's going to be great. He used to he played for me. He's my graduate assistant. I want you to sit in his pocket. And he goes, he'll, he'll take you to where you need to go. And it was Mike Dunlap. Wow. Wow. So Mike took me under his wing and virtually mentored me. Um, right. You know, I, I was so, so prepared. Um, and it, it, I, I remember the, the, the line when I went back was basically outwork them, outwork them when they're totally, you know, the loading and all the stuff that's going on now totally the opposite while they're sleeping at night, no one there's recruiting. 
No one there's working five days a week. No one's bringing the kids back at night. No one's, no, you know, no one's going to the university and get, you know, he knew about Australian basketball because he recruited kids to his school. He had a lot of them. So uh, I went back there with that mentality. I, I recruited, I brought, I got kids into the university. I started a program where we trained in the morning. And this was an environment where you trained twice a week and played Wednesday and Saturday. So I had two very successful years there. And then from there, we used to play against the NBL teams, the top teams. We were a second team, but they had state league and we'd play them. And my teams did well. So I got picked up and brought into the uh, into the division one. And at right about that time, Fran, basketball, for whatever reason, jumped in Australia from playing at Albert Park with 500 people at a local final to uh, in nine, this is, let's say, 1988. In 1992, we played for the championship against the Melbourne Tigers, and we played at the tennis center where the Grand Slam's being played, Rod Laver, 17,000 people at all three games. And I remember we played Lindsey Gaze in the finals, who was my coach, who was about my age then. And he walked down to me before the first game. And I'm looking at him going, you know, we, this was war. It's like UCLA SC and we're in the final and we're, we're sharing the same venue. And he walks over and he shakes his hand, my hand before the game. And I'm looking at him and he goes, Brian, I didn't think this would happen in your lifetime, let alone mine. Look at this. And this was a, a, a guy that Fran was had had built. You know, he he was instrumental in the growth of basketball. He understood the council. He had all the stadiums built. Victoria was his place. And here we are, in four years' time, moving from a five hundred seat, seat stadium to playing seventeen thousand people, and uh, the place packed for three straight nights. So. Uh, that was my involvement. My introduction was opportunity, um, being with the right guy. Lindsey Gaze taught me, you know, and for international basketball at that time, and especially Australia, it was pretty prehistoric. But Lindsey was well, well, well advanced to any of the other coaches that were coaching in Australia and taught me, um, as you're talking about international ball and you're becoming a, um, you know, uh, understanding the world basketball. I played in an environment where it was three out, two in, and I was the point guard. And I came in and the coach would say to me as I came in, don't shoot. And when you bring that ball up, get it there and get back. And you know, we ran three out, two in. And I, my job was to get the ball over half court, enter it, and then get my ass back and make sure that the defensive transition was in order. And I stopped the ball. When I came to Lindsey Gaze, he taught me I had no clue how to play without the ball in my hand. Absolutely zero. And we ran a chin version. He was famous. We called it the shuffle back then. But I was like, God, man, I've never worked so hard in the half court in my life. I'm, ex you know, I'm exhausted. I'm used to just throwing it and standing. But uh, he taught me so much about the offensive end of the floor. And I'm very fortunate uh to um get into coaching and having his you know him behind me and then also what I learned during my time playing for him. That's awesome. That's awesome. He's in the Hall of Fame, the Naismith Hall of Fame. I think I was there the year he was inducted. Um you were the sixth time coach of the year in the league. You obviously learned well from him, your dad, Mike Dunlap and others. You were the most successful professional coach, I think and uh, it still may be, if I'm not mistaken, but then you 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 go to China. Now, most of us have never been to China. Um, when it comes to basketball over there, I have been now a couple times. If you tell the Chinese that the sky is blue, they'll tell you that it's cloudy. It was a sunny day. Whatever you tell them is the opposite to them. How do you how did you manage to you may be going back, so I know you can't say anything bad. I know right now you're coaching in the NBL. We'll talk about that. I don't want to just say anything negative, but just explain the uniqueness of the Chinese professional basketball culture. 
there's 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 two things. One one just so um, I got fed up here with um, the constant. It, we talked about the doyant days. Then I had a an eight year. We win three championships in Sydney, and the team folds. And they said, if if you get Sydney going, if you get Brett Brown leaves Sydney and goes to the Spurs, I come in and we win three championships in a row, and they fold the team up. I go to the Dragons, which is a newly formed team in Melbourne, and they've got Joe Ingles. And I'm going there. I bring in. They finish last. And they had Mark Price as their coach. And Mark leaves. I come in one year. We win the championship. I, The team wins it. The owner comes up to me and says, I'm not happy with the TV package. I'm not happy with you know the court hire. If they don't fix this, get a new, I'm out. So um, he leaves, we fold that up. I go to China and we play the Beijing Olympics. And um, Fran, after going to Athens and uh, basketball, it, it was the, I mean, being a part of being an Olympian is a special experience, but nothing like Beijing and Yao Ming being the face of the whole Olympics and going into China and being around a basketball crazy country. So long story, I end up, I'm, I'm done with, uh, I, I'm tired of the merges, tired of the clubs being bankrupt, tired of worrying about my players getting paid. That's what NBL was like at that time. Got the opportunity in, in China and all those issues were gone. It's like you're coaching the Lakers, but there's a billion people. So the game is, the, you do a clinic, there's a thousand kids there. Yeah, you, you know, best travel, great uniforms, uh, the great TV package, but the game itself, the players, um, it was a very challenging coaching experience. One is because most of them were one dimensional. This guy's job, I remember um, coming into a, and I did a clinic for the summer league. And and uh, they had an international element and they brought, you know, Del Harris was there, the coach of that time of of Spain, the assistant coach at uh, Toronto. The coach, the head coach was Serbian for for Phoenix. They all did clinics. And there, I remember they say the ball's reversed to the four and he's got seven options, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, I get up and I go, well, one. You know, I couldn't explain seven options because we'd be here all day because I worked through an interpreter and I could be telling him, you know, you know, pass the ball there and cut. And then you can pass the ball there and screen. You can pass the ball. And after the third one, he's he could be saying, hey, this guy's talking too much. Don't listen to him. And I have no idea. And number two, the guy you're the guy you're throwing the ball to his job may be his only thing he does is guard Marbury. You know, you come in and you face guard him, you stand on his feet, you, 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 you do whatever you can to throw him off. That's all he does. Another guy, it made just his ability to shoot. So my, my point in all of this, when you asked me the struggle with China for me, was anything that needed to be done, and you know, to be good in basketball, there's a process. And, and okay, if you're going to lift weights then the next game you play, the team better be stronger. If, if, if it isn't instant, they don't want to know about it. Stop with the rice. And it's not your, your diet against ours. It's professional players need protein. Well, if you feed them protein and they don't instantly gain weight and you don't win, scrap it. So, um, I would you would go through things and you could never in basketball, Johnny would, you know, show it, walk through it, repetition, repetition, you know, correct it, repetition, repetition, repetition. The repetition part ain't happening. And uh, that that part ownership would come in and say, you know, put more weight on the bar. Ownership would come in and say, you know, you've got to run them more. Um, ownership would come in and say, you know, you, 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 you can't run that, you know, it, it's just, so the process that it takes to get good, um, 
They need it now, and it's got to be instant, and basketball doesn't work that way. That was the hardest part for it. But as, but as far as um, a, they do have a, a lot of people engaged in the game, they've got a lot of people coming over and, and doing some good things, but the ability for that to stick is, you know, you, if you came in and did a clinic and went through it with the coaches, here's the drills, here's what you do, you leave, they go right back to, to what they were doing. So the, the, the processes and um, the last part of it is the, the training loads. I, I've never been a part of anything. You know, it's uh, I lost, I got there, I was uh, 92 kilos. When I left the first year and came back, I was 78. I mean, we, we, we practiced from nine to 12. They, we ate, ate a, you know, rice and some noodles. Then we sleep from one to three and we would come back and train from three 30 to six. And there would be somebody watching and making sure you didn't leave before six. Then I would go back to my room and they'd have to come back and make 200 shots. And this coach would go on for six months. You get one month off. It's like a business. So you play your season, you get one month off, and then those kids go into camp. You live in the training facility. And upstairs, there's a dining hall, and below the dining hall is the court. And so you're in that building. You virtually don't leave except for Sunday afternoon. You're in there bunkered down all the way until the season starts. And the imports arrive about six weeks before, and then once the season starts, so they don't experience this because when the season starts, it's like the NBA. You travel, play, travel, play, travel, play. But the six months leading in is brutal. How much has Yao helped to try to change that? Because this, this is all the things that I've heard from my friends who've been over there. But with Yao's uh, stature in the country, the night I was there to see you, because of my friendship with Jeff Van Gundy and Tom Thibodeau, I got to sit with Yao. How much is he seeing what's going on and trying to change that basketball culture? Because he must think it's he must think it's insane. You know, it's it's I I played for Yao, and uh, uh, when I said well, I played for Yao, sorry, I coached for Shanghai, and Yao owned Shanghai at that time, and I left Shanghai because Yao became the head of the CBA. And as far as Fran, as far as a, a quality human being, I was around him for a year and never met a better dude and uh, absolutely got it basketball wise. But he's in a battle. He is in a battle. There's a and and now let's go to to he's he's 35. He's not 40 yet. And these guys, there's there's a military there's a. A governing body that looks over this is not totally on the same page. So now you take it when Yao, Batir, Gigi Wang, that group, uh, and uh, Del Harris, uh, Jonas from Lithuania did a tremendous job with the national team and they were competitive. They could play France, they could play it, they, you know, they were competitive. Now's team. Um, Yao's taken this and they didn't qualify for the first time. They haven't qualified for the Olympics. Iran came out of there. They didn't win the uh, Asian Cup, you know. Um, so now Yao's in charge of all of this and there's a, a, a lot of push. We got to get back to, you know, because you start making inroads, we got to get back to the training three times a day. We got to get the things that I've just talked about. There's push. That's how you win. Because during that um, time when it was at its Haitian days, they were doing that and the national team was successful. So now the all the stuff that Yao's doing, it all it all lines in with, OK, this is your national team. And that's the face for Australia. How's it doing? And to be truthful with you, the last performance was abysmal and uh, uh, very, very disappointed. And it was in China. So now Yao's stranglehold on the look, that's 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 a battle. And uh, 
I, 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 um, it's, it's, it's real. It, it, it tugs at the heartstrings because I, there's a lot of young coaches that, that, uh, have talent that have been nurtured by people from the West and they've listened and a lot more of the young ones can speak English. And, uh, there's a tremendous love for basketball and Fran, I'm telling you, as, as far as people that I've met in my life, um, I've met a lot of wonderful Chinese in basketball that are, have been so can that coach, are you okay? Coach, you sound like, you know, uh, do you need anything? Can I help? And the players totally respectful, never a back chat, never a question, never. And, and they want competence and they want to learn and they want to be trained how you're training them. So it, it's, uh, it, it's, um, I loved it. I, I did love my time there, but, um, what I can see too is, is the basketball and this fight is stagnating. And when I come here and come back into this league, as you're saying, I've been startled by how good these young coaches are in the NBL and the programs. And now you add the culture and the toughness that you're talking about in the what's going on in the rest of the world in Europe with the virus and the things going on and the links now between Australia and America. This is becoming a very attractive place for uh, American players, um, the synergy America in the NBA has, has, has done, we've started to play games and, uh, sharing knowledge. And these young coaches in this league, like you said, are, are guys that I look at and could go to a division one school and, 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 and do that coach. And we've got guys that have coached here, uh, Damian Cotter, head coach of, uh, the Chicago G League team, and he's now on their staff. Um, a lot of guys like that, and there's. Um, uh, I've been really uh, enjoying the competition because that's why we're in this game. The competition and the toughness of the competition I've missed, but uh, I, I do have people go um, about the Chinese thing, and I'll finish with it. Is uh, my quality of life over there? We used to travel and whenever you traveled with the national team and I was going over there in the early 90s late 80s and it was you have this amount of time that you can have a team over there and you got to get them back because there's no coming they're, they're they're done and people say god how did you you know forget the basketball how did you and I'll tell you coach that Dongguan Shenzhen Hong Kong Macau that southern tip of China is my hotel living, my food, the people. And then you've been to Shanghai. Shanghai was like, you know, New York on steroids. It's like, man, oh man, what a great place and, and multicultural. So I, as far as a place, to, I would go back there. And I know people think I'm nuts, but I'd go back there for a holiday. And uh, my time there was, was, was special, but there was frustrations as you bring out in the basketball i went to dinner with Yao, yao's business guy i can't remember his name now he took me to dinner and uh he took me to an italian restaurant in shanghai it was unbelievable how good, oh, the, how, good the, how good the food was and how how cool a city it is it's an amazing an amazing place um i don't want to keep you much longer i got to ask you this really just to wrap up in in 2016 I did the game in the bronze medal game where, to me, two horrendous calls at the end of that game against Australia versus Spain tipped the game. It really did. I, I don't, you know, it was a great battle, two great teams. What would a medal, given the rise of basketball in Australia, I, I would say over the last couple decades, what would an Olympic medal mean to, to the basketball community of Australia? Boy, um, Fran, I'll, uh, I'll finish with a great, I, so I, I, uh, it, it would mean so much to a lot of people. And one of, I think the hardest thing about this job was actually taking it. You know, when it, when, when I spoke with Brett Brown and we talked, I, I, I was like, man, there's so much, um, there's so many people that have given their heart and soul 
And this is a loot. The women have got it done. It's eluded them for, you know, fourth, 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 fifth, fourth. And um, I'm in, it's 12 years removed. I bring my Chinese team to Australia to train for 50 days and play and get tough playing uh, warm up. And at the exact same time, Team USA has come to Australia to play those games in lead in to the world. And uh, we're practicing. I'm thinking there's going to be 50,000 people at this game. I'm, I'm an ex-coach, so they've invited me. You get the pass. I can go into the bar. I got a good seat, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm with the, all the Chinese. And I go, I'm not. There's too many people. This won't work, you know. So I say no. And then we're training, and the coach comes up to me. And he brings the interpreter and he goes, hey, Brian, you know, the interpreter, could coach, could you guys any way get to this game? I really want to be a part of this. I, I really want to see this. Australia is great. You know, the atmosphere, I really want to see this. So um, I call Basketball Australia. They line up for my whole staff to come. So he and I have got the pass where the interpreter takes the other four. We go, you know meet the people before the game some you know lindsey gay you know brett barry barnes all the ex there's lauren they're all there right so i'm sitting and i'm sitting next to dave anderson who i coached and brad newley and they were sitting we're talking during i haven't seen 12 years hey man and the game's going on and there's fifty thousand people fran in a game and the court's here and it's i'm looking at the screen and i'm now it's to the fourth quarter I get gets to the fourth quarter and I start to get everything starts to get quiet. You know, Patty Mills hits this, you know, you know, comes off a stagger from raises up, nails it. Shit, five, you know, quiet minute and a half, get a stop, come down. And then you look and you go, shit, they're going to win. They're going to win, you know, and it, it, the stadium kind of, you know, the shot, it erupts and then it goes quiet and now it's 30 seconds. You know, this thing's over. And I'm sitting in a section with all the alumni of the greats. All the greats are there. You know, the you know, the, the administrators, the players, the you know, and I'm still looking over at David Anderson and Newley. They're like ice. And now I'm looking in kind of a tear, you know, and I look back and this is. The game finishes and everyone's stint, you know, like this. And I'm looking at the faces and there's tears running down all these administrators, all these people's emotion is all the work. And, and look at this. And uh, that said it, you know, when I thought about taking this job, how much to answer your question, it would mean um, all these people be sitting watching this thing in their hearts. They want this medal so, so bad. That's the country. And then you've got a group of guys like that have put 12 years into this and this is their pinnacle. So uh, I fully understand um, the responsibility of it. And it, it did. That was the one thing that, you know, you know, man, this is you, you're carrying a heavy weight here. And uh, but. Um, yeah, I, let's go. But it, it, it would mean, it would mean, um, a lot to basketball in the country. And, um, uh, a lot of people would be, um, really, really happy. Well, I'm excited for you. Um, I'll probably see you in Las Vegas, although because of COVID, I may have to just wave at you and I'll be covering the Olympics as I mentioned to you. So I'll be, uh, I have a lot of Aussie friends. I'll be pulling for you. Of course, I'm going to root for the United States, but I'm going to certainly uh, be pulling for you guys. And if you medal, it's going to be awesome because, uh, you know, as we talked about at the very beginning, Brian, uh, the culture of basketball that the country has, that you've been a part of, to me as a purist, um, there's nothing like it. And anybody who loves basketball loves the way the boomers play. So I, I wish you the best of luck, my friend. Thank you. I'll, I'll, my, my wife said to me, she goes, some guy, Franz or whatever, wants to do an interview. I go, I'm Then she sends me the message. I go, Fran, are you kidding? Get me on this, baby. I want to see this guy. I want to oh, tap. Cool. So, uh, it's great. You've, no. done, 
you've done you've done so much for the game and and a lot of us internationally really appreciate you because you got a great knowledge for the game outside of America. And a lot of times it, it's it can be pretty insular, but you, you've been tremendous and really an honor to be on your show. Thanks, friend. Well, many thanks to my friend Brian Gorge, and thanks for that great enlightenment uh, on uh, uh, Boomer basketball. This is a team that uh, in 2016 came within a couple of questionable calls of winning a bronze medal. But uh, as you can tell, he's very confident. They are, as teams go in this Olympics this year, pretty stacked and have a chance legitimately, I believe, to win the gold. Uh, wow. So, uh, yes, you heard it right, Chris Tyler. I think they are a... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, behind the United States, if there's one team that I think can win the gold this year, uh, it's certainly the Boomers. They oh, have a lot of, they have the talent. Sense. So I know you are, but uh, calm down there, buddy. We'll <laughs> we will, uh, anyway, you're excited. I'm excited for the Olympics. Brian Gorgian is excited. And if you're excited about the World of Basketball podcast, podcast please rate and subscribe uh, to our podcast on Apple Give us a great rating. You can also hear us on Spotify and, of course, the Sirius uh, XM uh, app. Uh, download that app. You can go back and hear all of our 52 shows and many other things on uh, the Sirius XM app. And, of course, I'm gr- so glad to be part of the Sirius XM radio network. With that, you know that next week I will bring you, I promise, to another place in my world of basketball. World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. Sound designed by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. A special thanks also to Sirius XM, Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Mr. Steve Cullen. Sirius XM Podcasts.